is knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 268. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we've got a guest that many of you will be familiar with. He goes by Kenneth Scott. He goes by Ken Cousins, and most people will recognize the name Gemstone University. Um, we're going to talk about some legal ideas. We have had a lot of positive responses from the legal things that we've done. And from our point of view, these things need to be put on the record. And we've tried to narrow it down to things that have worked. But all in all, we've kind of laid breadcrumbs up to where we are. And I imagine at some point, not too much in the distant future, there will be actual recognizable numbers of people who have gone down these roads. To me, it feels right now like it's few and far between. Uh, anyone who's taking really meaningful actions in terms of whether you reside in a system, how you act in a system, whether you think you can get out of a system, these types of ideas. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good afternoon. All right, we're going to be a couple in front. You got anything to add or are we going to max out here? Let's max it. All right, Ken, welcome aboard. Glad to have you here. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be here. All right. Well, I'll cue it up best way I know how. How about if we go back to the late 60s, early 70s? Uh, there must be some kind of way out of here, said the Joker to the thief. <laughs> How's that for a setup? Well, you know, that is absolutely out of the 60s and 70s uh, lyric uh, archives. That's my favorite line. <laughs> uh, well, it's a favorite four lines or quatrain. Uh, there must be some way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There is too much confusion. I need some relief. Uh, the line that I always quote is, there are some amongst us who feel like life is but a joke, but you and I, we've been through that, and that is not our fate. So let us not talk falsely now. The hour is getting late. Well, I, I, I was going to use it as a cue up, and I see it was the right thing to have done because you're all over it. Yep. Yep. Perfect. So what we're going to talk about here are some ideas about law. Again, um, we've, as I'm sure you're aware, we've done all kinds of things like what can a person do to live within the system they've always known and that's all they want to do, but not get pushed around. We've done affidavits, we've done this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, we know precious few people who have a matter of fact, I'm not sure. I, I think I might know one or two who have said, okay, I'm done with the system. I'm going to step outside and I'll be in the system when I want. I'll be out of the system when I want. But what we've laid down so far, I don't think a lot of people could get there without years and years of studying and understanding. So with that said, how can we conduct ourselves? What can you offer people to help them better understand what we are starting to know now that most of us probably had no idea of 20 years ago. Right, exactly. Well, I'm glad you said it in the, in the language and you, you did of how to help people better understand because that is the first thing. And of course, some people who study these things will say, well, I don't understand anything. I overstand, I understand. But we know what the word understand means. It means integrate and comprehend. That's the definition we're using. And that's extremely important. So the answer to the question, from my perspective, based on 30 years of complete immersion in studying law, but equally important studying the history of law, 
the history of this world going back five to 6,000 years, and then bringing it current and understanding the nature, structure, functionality of the world system as it's constructed today, the money system, the monetary uh, money mechanics, how money is actually created, how that relates to the legal system and our status within it, all of that. I've spent 30 years truly in complete immersion in that. And uh, that was on top of another 30 years of generally studying a full spectrum of the world, uh, from science to metaphysics, religion, you name it. Uh, I set out in life at a very early age with a very strong sense of this world is really upside down. I want to understand it. I want to understand how it works so that I could find and create a true solution for exactly what you said. How do we live in the world, but not of it? How do we engage with the matrix without being in bondage to it? All of those kind of things. And so that's been my life path. So for everybody listening, please understand that, yeah, it, it took me 30 years to crack this code. I am very confident to say I've truly cracked the code of the matrix. And then the question arises, do you need 30 years? And my answer is no. Uh, that's what we've been building with Pantera, our private society, and Gemstone University uh, for many years is a synthesis of all the key pieces to build a foundation, build an education that truly creates an integrated understanding. It does take a lot of work. And it's not going to happen overnight. And there is no silver bullet that we can give you that here's the document, just sign this, record it here, and you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. So we will get into the details right, so, as we go. So, Cam, before I, I didn't want to interrupt there, but um, I was remiss. Can you please tell folks how they can find uh, <laughs> okay. your online presences? I should have done that up front at the beginning. I apologize. No problem. Okay. So... Pantera de Oro is our private society. We have a website, www.panterapca.org, and that's spelled P-A-N-T-E-R-R-A-P as in private, C as in contract, A as in association. And that's our public notice site. Uh, there is quite a bit there. There are foundational documents, tells you how we built this society, how the law works, and our relationship to the global public system. And the Gemstone site is called gemstoneuniversity.org. And that's spelled like ruby, sapphires, emeralds, gemstones, G-E-M-S-T-O-N-E, university.org. All right, perfect. So where's a good place to jump in? I, I almost wanted to bring up what we broached offline about the role of religion and the role of government um, in recent, you know, I, I say it so often, these big media entertainment events that get the most minds involved. I think Game of Thrones was one of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and they showed the two pillars, religion and government. Of course, they tried to make it look like the governance or the royals, if they were, were the, the heavier pillar than the other. but. I guess I just want to make mention, I don't want to sidetrack, so where do you want to jump in? But I wanted to mention that because we're trying to ease in, we're trying not to blow people's minds, we're trying to lay down information that any mind can consider, and let's face it, when you talk religious ideas or maybe even political parties, a lot of people get 
flipped out. But I think it's it's late in the day as we pulled from from the lyrics yeah, there. Yeah. Um, well, so we're, exactly. we're a little we're a little less tippy toe. Yeah. Well, that's it. Let's not talk falsely now because the hour is truly, really late in, in one sense, but also from where I stand, how we approach things, the hour is brand new. Uh, so I do want people to understand that it may appear overwhelming, something many people go, I don't want to know about law. It's, it's foreign to me. I don't want to know about history and religion. You know, I don't I certainly don't want to know about money and banking, but the thing is, we are immersed in it. We are meshed into it as an integrated whole system. And that's how I approach it. It is a whole system with many subsystems that must be interconnected. And that's really the problem in the pursuit of law, the movement that I've been part of since 1989, 1990. People call the law movement or the patriot movement or the sovereignty movement that almost all people approach it from a fragmented approach. They get a piece, it seems to be whole, seems to have an answer, they try to apply it, it ends up not working. In fact, and oftentimes it ends up backlashing and causing more problems and people get turned off. So you do have to open yourself up to understand what we're gonna talk about in this, in this session. So you mentioned the phrase two pillars. And he referred to it as church and state. Fundamentally and historically, in the origins of religions, which was really the origins of a priest class that interfaced with what people call the gods. Um, and that's a whole story we won't get into today. But suffice to say, I think we're all familiar with Egypt and Sumer and Babylon and everything in between into Greece, Greece and Rome it was always about the gods and it was always about the temples and what the rules of the temples were. And that is the essence of priestcraft, the priesthood. So that is one of the pillars. The law of the priest is the law of the temple. And we also have to understand that all banks on this planet, going back to Rome and preceding that, they are structured as temples, as are the courts. So we can't extract, if we want to understand the legal system or law or money or the nature of our bondage, we can't extract or separate and say, well, I want to know about that stuff. How do I get free? But I don't want to know about you know, temples and priests and stuff like that. We have priests everywhere. There are priests of the law, priests of the med medical field, uh, priests of the um, genetics, priests of everything. These are the secularized institutions that bind us, but behind it is the structure of the esoteric side, the institutional structures of the origins of religion and all of that. So one pillar is the line of the priest who controls the law through the temple. The other is the line of the king. So we can see that today as church and state. Church is the priest, obviously. State is the king the sovereign and the crown owning and controlling all the land. And basically the world system is a system in which it was declared hundreds of years ago and going back thousands of years that, but in the modern 2000 year period, that the Pope had absolute claim to all the land, all the flesh and all the souls on the planet. And out of that came something called the triple crown the three city-states of Vatican, London, City of London, and Washington, D.C. that control 
the land, the flesh, and the souls. And it's all about bondage through legal and monetary mechanisms to keep us attached to the system in order to extract our life force, who we are as creational beings, and to bond it so that we would literally be entrained to direct our capacity to create into building our own world prison. And so that's where the origin of the two pillars, church and state, and um, and the basis of what, you know, whether it's government in certain uh, forms in the monetary banking system, the IRS, they are all modeled after the same function with priests, laws, temples, and in the front bureaucrats and bureaucracy to manage and control. Okay, so I just got out of my diapers. Uh, I've dealt with kindergarten. I want to get into first grade here, Ken. Um, so let us not speak falsely. Where do we begin so okay. that we can understand? I have a favorite metaphor or analogy. For those of you who know California and the West Coast, there's a famous town called Santa Monica. I just picked that as a name most people know. And there's a pier that goes out. You know, Crow, I know you're from San Diego, so you know the coastline. There's lots of piers on the yep. on the coast. So I've worked there. Yep. Pick your favorite pier, but let's say Santa Monica. If you're at the end of the pier and you're facing west and you have the full intention that you're going to walk to New York and that's what you're going to do, but you're facing west and you start walking, will you get to New York? No. You will take a long trip off of a short pier you will plunge into the ocean. You will be battered by the waves against the pylons and the barnacles. You will be ripped to shreds and you won't know what happened because you thought you were facing the right way. You thought you knew where you were standing and how you were oriented to go to where you want to go. So let's start from the end. Where we want to go is to be truly free, truly unbonded, out of bondage, out of attachment, out of the control of the civil system that binds us with codes and statutes and all the rest of that. But if we don't know where we're standing and we don't know where we're facing, we certainly will not know how to get to the end point of where we want to be. So where are we standing? Well, there are three words that I use, status, standing, and capacity. In law, there's a thing called standing, which we'll get to in a minute, but let's start with status. Do you know what your status is, Crow? Well, I, would, I, would, yeah, I would imagine it's probably like citizen or something like that, right? Right. Employee? Yeah, all of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're an employee. Um, you're a government employee, according to the uh, federal statutes. You are a U.S. citizen. You are a U.S. person, which was established in the 1800s and then um, moved into after the 1930s. And so the definition of U.S. person, U.S. citizen, how does that relate to the Constitution when it calls people a citizen or the 14th Amendment when it refers to U.S. citizens? All of that, in summation, is your status. That is your status. And we have to start with a baseline, which is that, um, and people can argue with me, and many would or will and do, but my basis of how I know the system to be is it's all by voluntary contract, because there's an absolute recognition that we exist in a reality and a universe that's hardwired or the fabric of which is sovereign free will, okay? 
uh, we don't have to get into any multidimensional or you know cosmological things during this conversation. But suffice to say, let's have a starting point that we do have sovereign free will and that the entire world system over thousands of years has been built to get us to voluntarily contract out of our sovereign free will, our volitional act, and especially in the United States, because there is a basis of sovereign standing or status um, going back 240 years. But a sovereign has full capacity to contract. Contract is the absolute pinnacle of our rights on this planet, and they have never been taken away. We have the right to contract. So we have to understand that we have contracted to accept certain benefits and privileges in exchange for certain performance. And that status is precisely defined as a bonded surety to a bankrupt franchise. And this is where people don't understand where they're, they're standing or facing or beginning their path. Because, uh, you know, I quickly reviewed, uh, and as we talked about the other day, uh, Crow, I've been a fan of yours since the beginning. I've watched all the astronomy and lunar stuff, but I, I hadn't in the last several years. And I didn't realize until you guys called me the other day that you had um, moved into this whole subject of law and freedom and everything. So I don't. I didn't have time, obviously, to go through all of what you have done, but I did, you know, scan through it, and I saw some of the people you've interviewed, um, like Cal Washington, Notice of Liability, Peggy Hall, a couple others, um, Kurt Kallenbach, and they all have pieces, but they don't know the integrated whole, and therein lies both the rub and the backlash, because ultimately the courts, the IRS, Everybody in the public system who are actors, agents, officers, they are functioning within fundamentals. And those fundamentals are that the United States is a corporation. Many people know that. Many people know that that corporation was put into bankruptcy on March 9th, 1933. But they don't understand the nature of bankruptcy. They don't understand the jurisdiction of the bankruptcy um, function, which is admiralty. They don't understand maritime law and how that relates to us being off the land and things like that. And they also don't understand that we are under full internationally recognized military conquest and occupation. And so those are the component parts of what we have to understand how the United States, as the master corporation on the planet, because all other countries were converted to national corporations over the last basically 100 years, and they were all put into bankruptcy. And as a bankrupt corporation under admiralty and bankruptcy law and rules and military occupation, there are certain things that apply. One of them is that the civil system must be put in place to manage the property and the persons of the conquered territory. We are both the property and the persons of that conquered territory, and all of the national corporations were put in as subdivisions, corporate subdivisions, in a master global corporation. So that means the person that everybody speaks about, the corporate person, or what people who are doing and trying to apply a commercial process, they call it the straw man or the corporate name or any of those things. It's actually a franchise. It's no different in a corporate structure than McDonald's. And if you go to McDonald's and you buy a franchise, you get the rights 
the corporate rights and the privileges to operate that business as a franchise, but you have responsibilities and codified requirements. It requires that you um, buy your hamburger and fries from the central corporation. You have to use uh, their logos and imaging and packaging. You have to contribute to collective advertising and all the rest of that. Those are contractual obligations for your franchise license and agreement. No different than the franchise that we operate in to be in the public domestic federal system. Let's call it their sandbox. It's their sandbox. It's their rules. And we have contracted ourselves to operate and get benefits out of that operation of that franchise. Can I just butt in for a second and just ask a, well, one simple question? In your view, is this all based on fraud? We didn't know we were contracting. There was no meeting of the minds. Most of us are unaware any of this even happened. So before we continue on, is it fraud from the outset, which is probably beside the point because we're dealing with what we're dealing with. But mm -hmm. I just wanted to ask your point of view. I'm really happy you asked that. Because that's the predominant perspective, and my answer is emphatically no, it is not fraud. It is also not non-constitutional. When you really, really, really drill down and you integrate all the pieces as I have done, you will know and you will see that they have technically followed the Constitution, they have followed international law, and that they do, in fact, operate in a legal justified, if we would use that word, just uh, justifiable legal context, which we can get into because those are the elements that expand from understanding what a franchise, what a bankrupt franchise, and what your our status as bonded surety is. And I have a lot of people who will and have done who react to me, no, it's fraud. And, you know, one of the elements, one of the primary important elements for a real solution is to stop fighting, to literally go to peace, both within and without. And I will, as we go along, define what that really means. I didn't want to sidetrack you. I just wanted to see. I, I'm surprised by what you just told me, but I'm also intrigued. Um, okay. But I, I did kind of interrupt the path you were headed down to ask yeah. that question. Yeah, but that's okay because I, I can okay. <laughs> I can handle uh, sidebars and, and get back to what I was saying because okay. exactly it exactly relates. So we'll come back to that in a little bit, but let's finish the definition of bonded surety. So when everything was put into bankruptcy in 1933, basically FDR declared by a proclamation known as Proclamation 2039 on March 6, two days after his um, inauguration. And if you read his inauguration, what you see is he's actually creating a religious cult or a religious sect. Um, he uses religious or ecclesiastical language, which is why I studied religion and understood how the Roman church has been structured, how the three city-states, how uh, ecclesiastical law works, um, how the court system works. One thing most people don't know is there's something called the Roman Curia. Curia means court, and that all uh, secular courts on the planet are under the authority of the Roman Curia. It means we're in Roman law, and fundamentally, we go back in history, Roman law is about military conquest. That's what they did to Europe, and that's why New York is called the Empire State. 
it's still the empire and it's all based on how that's constructed. So FDR was inaugurated very soon into that speech. He used the phrase, this is a day of national consecration. When you consecrate something, you put it into a religious construct. So first he put it into the religious ecclesiastical structure. Two days later, he proclaimed a uh, banking holiday, uh, Proclamation 2039, and three days later, he did Proclamation 2040, which continued that bank holiday and basically suspended lawful money and lawful procedure and so forth and put it into something called public policy, which was first stated in a document called HJR House Joint Resolution 192 on June 5th, 1933. The same day on March 9th, when he did that second proclamation, which extended the bankruptcy or the bank holiday and effectively put us into bankruptcy, the same day the 73rd Congress issued its first act, and that was called the Emergency Banking Relief Act. And that Emergency Banking Relief Act established that the executive was now in complete control of the banking and the monetary system to protect the integrity of the United States Treasury and, and banking monetary system. And that United States Corporation and that Treasury had been in a contract with the Federal Reserve since 19. 1914, and it had gone into default. And so it was a foreclosure and hence a reorganization of the corporate bankrupt, now bankrupt United States Corporation. And these are very important pieces that most people don't even have a clue exists. And I'll come back to it later because it ties into what happened in the 1860s with the 14th Amendment, uh, the first Civil Rights Act in 1866 the incorporating of the municipal body known as Georgetown and District of Columbia in 1871. These are all the pieces through time and space that are an integrated whole structure. And so this is part of why the answer to the fraud is not a fraud, because in law, you must have complete disclosure. And yes, we can argue, yes, we were not educated, we were dumbed down, we didn't know all this thing. But from their point of view, they have fully disclosed everything, and it is out there. And it corresponds to the esoteric maxim, which says all is hidden in plain sight, that you must actually uh, put everything you do in plain sight. And then they, the people can't say, you didn't tell us. So it seems like almost a version of the original idea of the great work in a way, but go ahead. Well, it is very much related to that, but that's a whole other subject for another right, time. Right, that's for sure. Uh, that's a big subject. Right. But that great work is called the great work of the ages, and there's a conclusion of that great work, which is what we're living in. And the conclusion was intended to create an entire global population that's completely bound and bonded to a um, perpetual debt enslavement monetary system through legal contractual attachments. And so this is where we have to get into what is a bonded surety. Well, oh, you know what? Let me finish one thought. So all of that, everything I was saying is the fact that post-March 9, 1933, everything was moved into commerce, into a commercial structure. Their entire sandbox is based on commerce and something that most people know the Uniform Commercial Code. And the fundamental of the UCC 
also known as the law merchant, is that it's a codified rule system, and the rules apply to merchants, mariners, and their property. So it's maritime in the sense that both merchants who traveled maritime uh, waters to move from one landmass to another created the law merchant, created commercial uh, documentation, instruments, and so forth back in Rome and re-instituted uh, in the last couple hundred years. And it's all about secured relationships to a debtor and to collateralized property. So there are three functions of commercial relationships, a secured party, a debtor, and collateral. So when we speak of we are bonded surety, a bond is a form of debt, and it's an attachment. It is a commercial attachment based on an underlying value that is secured through a commercial agreement and um, formalized in an instrument that could be a security, could be a, um, a monetary instrument, whatever it is, it's essentially a bond and it attaches to the thing of value. The thing of value guarantees the performance of the debt against the instrument. So we are that surety. A surety comes from a maritime system of rules called uh, insurance. So the surety guarantees performance and is the attached obligated party in the event that the debtor uh, defaults and must stand for it. So that's the bond relationship. That's the surety relationship. And who are we or what are we attached to or bonded to? The franchise that we have contracted to operate within their sandbox. And uh, that contract starts at birth, the registration and the creation of a vital statistic record what everybody knows, the birth certificate and things like that, leading up to one of the primary contracts is the driver license. And of course, when we put our signature on a bank account, we have agreed to be a driver in commerce, driving a motor vehicle, which is a vessel in commerce on the sea of commerce, as well as the signatory who's authorized to create the debt every time we apply our signature to a commercial instrument. And that's the basic facility of the debtor function of the franchise. So what all of this is a very quick synopsis summary of our relationship to the matrix. So how do we get out of that? We get out of it by understanding that it was voluntarily entered into. Uh, we did so, you know, the thing is, see, back to your question, can we say it's fraud? If we say it's fraud, then we create a controversy that then must be adjudicated in their court system. We do not want to be in their court system because we never win in their court system, you know, no matter how many people say, yeah, I won. Yeah, I like that tack, so go ahead. Okay, so this is using Aikido or martial arts or whatever you want to say in terms of using the energy of your opponent to your benefit. So rather than go Newtonian, Newtonian physics, force and counterforce, we go quantum. And that doesn't mean I'm into Einstein, but in the sense of a quantum sense of understanding the whole. And in the whole, if we understand that we are actually the creators of this reality, we have simply been attached, bonded, and entrained by a parasite as a collective thing and all the individual functions of that parasite through priests and kings and law and legal codes and all the rest of it. And we have been, we are the host and we are 
the ones who are actually creating, but the movie that we're running through our projector is their movie. So rather than say it's fraud or go counter to it, because again, like I said, the minute you do that, you create a controversy and you're still bonded as the surety to that franchise. And now the judge or the magistrate or the IRS officer has full authority in managing the estate that underlies the franchise to apply every code that exists that are the rules, just like if I bought a franchise from McDonald's, I have to follow the rules. So the key to all of this, the solution is we don't argue. We don't go into controversy. We accept everything that they've done. So if we say it's a fraud, then then we've uh, disempowered ourselves. If we actually accept what they present and understand how that works, both in commerce and the legal codified system, as well as in equity and how the whole thing is constructed, we have gained the power and we've gained the capacity to actually perform what needs to be done to settle and close all matters and dis and and sever the attachment and 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 uh, terminate the presumption of consent. So, for example, when these people are doing notice of liability, they're using commercial and administrative processes, and it appears like they've had victories. You know, I'm I'm aware of all of that. I know that you know to a limited extent. I know the history of Cal Washington and what he's done. But I can tell you this from vast experience, and I've got 30 years experience of being in the trenches. In the 90s, 1991, when I started, when none of this was on the internet and nobody, um, I mean, communication was extremely limited compared to today. What I have walked through in terms of that experience is watching many, many times how the system, if you will call it that, has allowed somebody to have a victory. They go into court and they... um, process a complaint and or they do a counterclaim or they defend and they actually want okay this happened with uh, something called pure trust that people were using in the 90s and then suddenly the irs turned around and started busting everybody and, and hauling them into court and putting them in prison uh corporation sold that people thought they could use as a commercial facility but they didn't know what they were doing Many other things, many of the solutions that people have used, including all the commercial processes, secured party, notice of liability, all of those things. What I've seen happen over and over is a few people will be allowed to win and the judges, magistrates, et cetera, they get together once or twice a year at a big cushy resort and they cross reference what they need to know and what the higher ups will tell them they need to know to process the system and the people and so forth. Is that confirmed? Is it on record that they get together almost like a Bilderberg kind of thing? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just called, uh, I mean, how many things do we know of uh, chiropractors or doctors or whatever that they have something called continuing education? I mean, it's it's justified, it's bona fide in that they have to have continuing education to keep up with the changes in the UCC or statutes or all of that. So they have to go to that. That's, you know, just like a doctor has to keep up with the latest advances in medicine. Is that almost attached to like, say, um, so certain people are licensed to do things and they have to get so many hours of education yeah. to renew that? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, wow. it's essentially that. 
But, you know, behind the scenes, on behind closed doors, they're telling them, okay, this is coming through. You know, for example, I'm sure you know about the history, or I don't think you know the history, but you know the phrase sovereign citizen. Well, this movement, the law sovereignty patriot movement in the 90s, everybody wanted to call themselves sovereign. Okay, But in fact, as a bonded surety to the bankrupt franchise without changing their status, and without status, you don't have standing in their court. You don't have standing to state a claim. So one of the key things that I watched over and over, and I, I adopted the position that I'm going to let everybody go and do the things out there, you know, watching the lemons run over the, the cliff, and I'm the lemming who's uh, sitting up in the tree drinking lemonade watching everybody else go over the cliff and that was my style that i didn't rush in uh, a lot of people thought in ego or greed or arrogance uh, i got it i'm going for it and they would rush in and they would do things and some of them were allowed to have a victory and i've seen this in the international banking and monetary systems as well there's things called off-book trading and that's a whole other subject but uh, I watch it across the board in the money system, the banking, and in the legal judicial system. People would have a victory, and they would be a um, more uh, extrovert-type personality, so they would formulate a seminar, they'd go on the circuit, and they would teach on weekends all around the country. And then one individual became thousands of people studying this and thinking they knew what they were doing, and that's called planting seeds and harvesting them. Because every time somebody is charged in the courts with indictments or true bills, they are bonded. And for every court case, for every traffic ticket, there's millions of dollars of bonds that are created. For a criminal charge with a penal sum bond, uh, there could be billions of dollars of bonds that are created. So win, lose, or draw, the system doesn't care. What they care is there's a chargeable statute they can attach to somebody for doing something that they're not legally able to do. So this created huge harvestable franchises that they harvested billions and probably trillions of dollars in bonds off book through the court system because one person or a half a dozen people were allowed to, quote unquote, win something. And then they went and taught it. And it was incorrect because people did not know that what their status was. And in the federal rules of civil procedure, there's a rule 12B that says that a judge or a prosecutor or an opposing attorney can uh, motion that says, um, you know, motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. And the reason they did that is because you don't have standing in the court to state a claim. People think they do, and they think that, well, I have a complaint and so forth. But when anybody doing sovereign so-called patriot law going to court uh, and being pro se, they didn't have standing to be there because the entire system is about the fact that the people or the sureties and the attorneys uh, are attached to the bar in the city of London, and they ha and that and that's all about monetary creation. You know, the legal system, the attorneys, the courts, the judges—it's all the money. It's always the money. So you don't have standing to go in and quote unquote self-represent. So if you go in pro se 
and, and you think you're representing yourself, well, you are representing yourself. You're coming from behind the bar and you're accepting the jurisdiction of the court and you have been granted a limited attorney, in fact, to represent yourself. And with that limited attorney in that one case that you're the defendant on, you have now been given a temporary license at bar to practice within their system. And you have turned yourself into the administration through legislative tribunals, which these courts are, legislative means from Congress to basically administer the bankrupt, the property of the uh, debtor in possession, which is the United States and all the attached bonded sureties through a license to be a driver in commerce. And in commerce, you are regulatable under Article 1. Congress has the right to regulate interstate commerce as well as to manage the monetary system of the United States, which is what they're doing under bankruptcy. All right. So that covers, I mean, that, that talks about your status when you're in a courtroom, right? That's pretty much defines who you are and what you are when you're in there, right? Mm -hmm. I, so how do we start to, is this even the right time to start to take steps to understand how to start to step out? Or is there more we need to know before we go down that road? Well, I can wrap it up probably in five or 10 minutes and then we could basically do <clears throat> hour two in terms of answering more of the practical and the functional. But again, this is for everybody listening. This is very much summary. You know, this is why, uh, as I watched all this stuff unfold in the nineties and two thousands, and keep in mind that the people I talk about who were those leading mentors or teachers and so forth, they were my teachers and my mentors. I spent thousands of hours and tens of thousands of miles going to things like everybody else. And I was learning. And in 1998, 99, the whole context of taking control, being a master in commerce, being a secured party against your straw man. I did all that. I did it from 1999 to 2011. So I spent 12 years basically mastering commerce. I will get into in a moment where I shifted in 11 or 12 and where that took me, which is key and critical. But the, the next that you said, okay, that tells us who we are in the court. It also told us who we are not. Who we are not is a, a living man withstanding. If you are in the court, you are a dead man. Okay. It's all about ultimately the whole world system is a cult of death. Everything is built on a system of death. We are walking dead men in the court. They see us as dead. Dead men cannot talk, so they must have an orator or a, a conduit, which is the representer who attorns as the attorney to turn us back in to basically the mortician, who is also a banker. Do we know where that started from, though, the fact that we are dead at sea or however that gets truly worded? Absolutely. Uh, it started in Egypt and Sumer, which we probably don't want to go into uh, in this call too much. But the short version, it's this is where the esoteric side, this is where the religious construct comes from. It started in Egypt with the Council of Nine and the Nine Gods. The height, the, the pinnacle of the Nine Gods was Anu, who became the sun, the heavens, and that's where the word Anunnaki comes from. Um, and that was retranslated through Latin and Greek. Anu became Janus, J-A-N-U, 
S or J apostrophe A and U apostrophe S, which would mean the Anu and apostrophe S means the possessive. So Janus was the, is the two-faced god, and all the temples that were the banks were on Janus Road. They were temples of Janus. And the cult of Janus is a cult of peace and war, or two sides to the same being. Uh, when the temple door was open, Rome was at war. When the temple door of Janus was closed, war, uh, Rome was at peace. So if you look at the banks today as temples of Janus, when those doors open at 8, 9, or 10 a.m., they're open for business. What does that mean? It means that Rome is at war with the public. It's all a martial construct and a martial system of control, conquest, and collective management of the herd or the body politic. You've also described, just to, to tie it back to things we've covered, the sky clock. So we're going to be talking about January when he's talking about Janus, which is where in Rome they ended up tying the first of the year, when truly in the old Julian calendar, I think it is, I might get some of this a little off base, but I'm, I'm in the ballpark. Um, that would have been at the low point of the sun on December 21st. The reason I'm pointing this out is because we're coming up on this big deal of a day, uh, the low point of the sun this year, which is also the Great Conjunction. So I'm pointing out that was probably, I think it was the Julian calendar, the first of the year after the sun goes to die, lays dormant three days, rises. But this, what he, what Ken just explained shows you how the Roman kind of martial system squeegeed it on up to January to begin right. the year there, yeah. to answer that question, to tie it back to things we've talked about. Right. And, you know, I mean, we could literally spend days talking about the layering of astronomy, the, the uh, numerical structure of the solar system. You guys uh, are predominantly known as the secrets of Saturn and the lunar wave, the lunar with all your work crow with the lunar things that you've uh, documented. And that's an interesting thing because the, the lunar cycle is basically in round figures, 29 days, and the Saturn cycle is 29 years. That's a fractal relationship numerically. And that's also the menstrual cycle, the tidal cycle, the gestation cycle of a baby. Uh, I've looked at this and can show you chapter verse in detail how this all is integrated and tied together. So it's one big supercomputer, esoteric, symbolic, numerical, astro-theological system. This created the whole projection of our focus into this matrix that became religified, it became mystified, it became the basis of religion, that became the basis of law, temples, money, Rome, etc. So Anu in Egypt and Sumer in Babylon was the head honcho, he's the head god. Anunnaki in the Sumerian language means the bridge between heaven and earth. Ki meaning being the name for the, the earth. Na mean, meaning the bridge. Everything's about the gods stand in between the bridge between heaven and earth. In Rome, that was given to the god goddess named Juno, whose middle name or the second name was Moneta. That's where we get the word money. So she had a bridge that you had to pay the toll to cross over to enter Rome. So it's all about entering Rome and being given elite status if you qualified. And going back into Egypt, in the Ennead, there were four, two sets of four gods, and the lower set was Isis, Osiris, Neptus, uh, and Set, Set and Neptus, or Nut, being the dark 
gods, Isis and Saurus, the light gods. If you take their initials, S-I-O-N, this is where the basis of Sion is, or Zion. And the return to Zion is the secret society or esoteric path of the great work of the ages that you mentioned to return the Godhead back to a singularity that would be controlled by the fusion of man and machine through the transhumanistic AI bondage system that's being more and more put forward. Let's be on the level here. So we're, we're actually talking about a perversion of the original great work, in my view. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, the great, great work is, yes, the great yes. work of, of liberation and, and For true. the benefit of living, living men and women. There's a difference yeah. there, and I think it's important. And I, I will yeah. point out all, all you alien gray rectal probing people, uh, you might do well <laughs> to listen to what he just said about the Anunnaki, but we're at about 52 minutes, Ken. So I'm going to begin okay. to wrap it up and cue us up for hour two. Um, that was a very informative hour one. Let me wrap up with the, the, the key thing. So as I said, you mentioned, this tells us who we are when we're actually in the court, but not who we, who we are not as well. We are not living men. We are lost at sea. That was the question. Where did this come from? The cult of death, all that. We can go to this in the, our next uh, session, not in the next hour, but next time we get together into that more because it's important to know. But the key is who we are not when we are bonded to the matrix. We have no standing to state a claim, which translates to we have no standing on the land to stake a claim. Staking a claim is creating meets and bounds, metered, measured boundaries of land that we have direct standing on. And without standing on the land, we are not, we have no access to law. Only those on the land actually have law. And those who are not on the land are out to sea. They're lost in the sea of commerce and all of that. And when you have no standing, you also have no capacity to accept and perfect the equitable interests that underline the debtor, which is the franchise. So that's the estate. And we'll talk about that okay. next hour. In the next hour, right. So there's a lot of key ideas that were laid down here. And I hope all the legal episodes we've done, we can just kind of learn from each other. I have a feeling I'm going to get some emails based on a couple things. Mm -hmm. and that, that's all right. It doesn't matter. All this stuff needs to go on the record. And while I'll, I'll be honest with you, we were defrauded. But what Ken laid down has me thinking differently. And when he said the word Aikido, it was perfect. That's the way of harmony. You can either belly up to the line and start throwing punches, or the idea behind the Aikido is something totally different. Here comes all this energy at me. I'm just going to redirect it so that it doesn't harm me, sometimes known as the way of harmony. And I like the idea behind that. But um, that also means that in my case, I'm agreeing to ignore what I accept to be true, that we were basically hosed. But that's okay, because what do you want more? Do you want to be right, or do you want to be free? <laughs> in Very my good. case, that's, that's an easy, easy decision. And I see it so often in life when people just want to lose their minds and get angry and fight for this thing they think they want, and it comes out all the worse so many times. But we're going to come back an hour or two, and we're going to get into way more ideas uh, that, that we've laid down here. Basically, informational stuff has been laid down in hour one. And I'm hoping we'll start to move into some actions to start to at least get on a trail that is looking to be free in some way. Hour two will be at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. Jason, can you think of what I'm dropping? I feel like I'm dropping something. <laughs> 
Did you want to ask Ken to give out his contact info again? Yeah, that'd be a good thing to do. Can you, one more time, let folks know where they can find yeah. your work online? Okay. Uh, as far as contact, admin at panterrapca.org. That's P-A-N-T-E-R-R-A-P-C-A.org. That's our public notice, as I said earlier, foundational documents, as well as our notice and correspondence to the entire world system to say we are at peace. And we'll talk about what that means. And then the educational is gemstoneuniversity.org. You'll see two very important documents there. On the left side, a document called the Master Plan. And in the middle, slightly to the, towards the top underneath the video player, there's a document called Overview of the World System of Bondage and Separation from Life. It's 153 pages, and it'll have a lot more detail of everything we've talked about. And then to the left of that is a link or click called Membership Application. I'll talk about that in the second hour. All right. So what I wanted to add, I was going to make a joke about glue, man, that mm. bonding is some strong glue, man, long lasting, yeah, super glue, and malleable, yeah. you know, when it yeah. starts to lose its grip, they just change the formula a little bit. Yeah. Um, but think of all the things that so many guests have come in to educate us about. Think about the things KL was talking about. Think of everything that Ken just laid down, how obscured and hidden and fractured and fragmented and some of it under this rock and some of it in the top of that tree over there and some of it in a language you never heard of, just so tough to get out. But the basis for so much of this was the sky clock. So I'll ask you flat out, is there any way, any way you can imagine that the information about that very foundational part of what I'll just call the creation wasn't messed with too? It bears, it bears some consideration. Yeah. We're coming to the low point of my, the sun. And in my current standing, which could change tomorrow, if I found something more to that I think I can know, we are about to be firmly out of the so-called age of water, the Piscean age that maybe could be summed up, in my view, could be summed up as I believe in things, into the so-called age of Aquarius that the hippies tried to make so fair, famous, which is in fact an air age. But in my view, that could be summed up as not I believe, but I know. So consider all these things as we talk to people like Ken, but join us on the other side for hour two of 268 at crow777radio.com. And we're going to pick up with Ken and get into some things that I think are critically important. There it is, man. Cheers.
Belief is the enemy of knowing. Come.